Father, we do praise you. We praise you for the loving kindness you have bestowed upon us in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for the peace that we have now that you have declared us not guilty because of the substitute of your innocent son. Father, we praise you for the love that you pour out upon us and we praise you for the peace that you give us in Christ. And I just pray that today, as we look into your word, as we listen to you, that your Holy Spirit will speak and that you will apply these truths to our hearts and to our lives. Particularly in this Christmas season, I pray that you'll bring us peace. That there's one here who has not found peace with you, that you will draw them to yourself. That you'll bring them to the point of repentance and faith and that you'll make them new, that they'll be saved. That they will have peace with God. Father, for those who are struggling with peace just in the circumstances of life, because of the stresses of the season, because of the stresses of other circumstances that we face in this world, I pray, Father, that you will give the peace of trust, the peace of faith, the peace of resting in you. For those who are engaged in conflict, interpersonal relationships, fights, grudges, bitterness, and quarrels, I pray that you'll bring peace there through your Son and through our obedience and through your supernatural power. I pray, Father, for our time together this morning. Just illuminate, open our minds and our eyes, and help us to indeed worship and praise you and praise King Jesus, our Prince of Peace. In your name I pray. Amen. It is good to see you. It is good to come here today. We're going to be looking at several different texts as we go through our study today. But how many of you have had a very restful, casual, plenty of off time this week? I'm assuming everybody is just kind of chilling at this time of year. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. It's Christmas time. There are schedules with family. There are schedules with friends. There's shopping. There's decorating. There's planning. Uh, all of the arrangements that are needful. Um, as you guys know, we're even as a congregation planning to move, so just go ahead and put that on your schedule. We'll be uh, relocating. And so there's always things, and things amp up as it comes to Christmas time. Now, as we anticipate Christmas, Christmas is going to be here in just a few weeks. But as the Jews were looking forward to their Messiah, they'd been waiting centuries. The prophets had foretold that the Messiah would come, the anointed one would come, the one who would come and bring peace. He was on his way, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. One passage in which his, for, his coming was foretold is found in Isaiah chapter 9. You are familiar with it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government, and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a promise. What a promise. He's coming, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the one who reveals the mystery of God and His plans, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Everlasting Father, the perfect, eternal Father who protects, provides, leads, disciplines, and rewards. And today we'll focus on the Prince of Peace aspect. When you think of peace, 
Of course, I always think of Silent Night. Now, uh, I think of the hymn Silent Night. I think of what it represents, how that the shepherds were in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. And the angel spoke to them. He said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the King. And this shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were praising God. And what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, earth, peace, goodwill toward men. King James Version. Peace, goodwill toward men. And we can explore that later. But I want you to understand, glory to God. We just sang in Excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, peace, with whom God is pleased. Jesus comes to bring peace. But when you look around, there's a noticeable lack of peace. And, and I want us to kind of explore that because there's some hard truths that I think we need to look at this morning that we understand, that we need to understand about the threefold aspect of the peace that Jesus brings. And the first is peace with God. We need peace with God. God that's the first point on your outline and so Jesus comes to bring us peace with God now what we need to understand that every person everywhere every person who has ever been born is born with hostility toward God and many people just don't think so they just don't see it it's not uh, it's not something that normally comes to mind when we think about people in their relationship with God. In Christ is the only way that we have peace, the peace that passes understanding. The root cause for every lack of peace, of every conflict, every hostility, every act of violence, every injustice, is that we are enemies of God. We have enmity with God. As a matter of fact, it is, it is, it is, it is not beyond the pale to say that we are at war with our Creator. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, makes it abundantly clear that there's only one God, there's only one who can be God. But many times we prefer, or all mankind at least, is born self-centered, self-focusing, self-worshipping, self-esteeming. But the, in Romans, Paul writes and says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's important that we understand that we have hostility toward God. You remember Romans chapter 5, very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, where, it says, as by one, uh, where it says, but now has God committed His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're very familiar with that passage of Scripture. If you go up and you look, as a matter of fact, just earlier in this service, uh, Art and Kelly read from Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that same chapter where it says, you know, in, in times past it was hostility toward God, but now Jesus Christ, having been justified, He has justified us, we have peace with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. What kind of condition does that passage of Scripture lay out that we are in before we come to the place of peace with God? It calls us enemies. Of God, It calls us sinners. It calls us the ungodly. Uh, and so it's important to recognize when we were enemies, Christ reconciled us to the Father. So what does it mean to be hostile to God? 
I guess that's probably a pretty good question, right? Because most people wouldn't say, I'm not hostile to God. What does it mean in this passage, Romans chapter 8, hostility to God is not submitting to God. It is not submitting to God's law. It's not acknowledging Him as God. It's not bending the knee to God. It is every man doing what is right in his own eyes. It is doing it my way. It is living for me and living for mine. And guys, that's kind of North America. That's kind of America's theme song. I did it my way. You know, I, 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 I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I did this and I did that. We don't normally think of this as hostility. In America, we've made this kind of our highest gold. And we seemingly have an infinite capacity for self-deception. What Romans chapter 1 describes is suppressing the truth about God. He reveals Himself as our Creator. He reveals Himself as the one that we are to worship and the only one that we are to worship. And yet we keep pushing that truth down. And that's an expression of rebellion. That's an expression of hostility toward a holy God. And it is a condition of all mankind. Let me me see if I can analogize this. You ever been on the outs with somebody? You ever been mad at somebody? Somebody ever hurt your feelings make you mad? Just go ahead and nod. I know what's happened. What happens when you go in the same room and you have to encounter the person that you are angry with, that you're hostile toward? Sometimes it just erupts into open conflict. You guys know anything about shouting and screaming matches? We don't in our household, obviously. But I understand that others have, uh, have experienced those kind of conflicts from time to time. Uh, the... Uh, you just have that conflict where you just and there are people in the world who just rail at God and they will criticize God openly and they will criticize God publicly I do not know that they address God personally but it's not like God is not the audience of all of their conversation but it's that God should do this or God wouldn't do that and there's this, this the, there are people who are openly hostile to any idea of a creator to whom we must bow the knee A creator who loves us, yes, but a a creator who is holy and righteous and has a standard, has a law, has has a a way for us to live that calls us to himself, and they're just hostile overtly. But I find more and more that there are people who aren't overtly hostile against God, they're just cold-shouldering God. God, you do what you got to do. I'm not going to say there's not a God, there may be a God, but I'm going to live life my way. You go into this room it may, with the person that you're at odds with, and it may not be open conflict. You may just pretend they're not there. You guys ever been given the cold shoulder? You guys ever walk past somebody who's mad at you, and you know they're mad because they look the other way when they walk past? That's how many people live in this world toward a God. That's the posture of many people toward a God who loves them and gave His Son that they might have life. I'm just not going to think about that. I'm just going to put that off. I'm just going to say that that's not a big deal. I'm going to hope that everything works out in the end and I'm not going to address it. And the Bible calls that hostility. Here's the stunning thing and the part that we really don't want to think about is that the God who is holy, when we're hostile to Him, He's hostile to us. You understand that mankind is innately born, child of Adam, daughter of Eve, hostile toward God. You need to understand that God is hostile toward us, and we really don't like that. This is our hostility against God. The next slide will make the statement that God is hostile against us. 
But we don't like to think about that. As a matter of fact, we just kind of put that off. Uh, now, God's hostility against us has a name biblically. It's called the wrath of God. Are you familiar with it? The wrath of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I would love to take some time and just walk verse through verse through the Romans chapter 1 to show us the condition of what's taking place here. As a matter of fact, there's a supplemental verse in Romans chapter 2 that says you are storing up wrath for yourself. In the first, Romans chapter 1, he's addressing those from a Gentile or a pagan background who have turned their backs upon God and closed their minds to God and are suppressing the truth of God as revealed in nature, as revealed as God has revealed himself through the centuries and has revealed him to himself to them now. In Romans chapter 2, he turns his attention toward those who had the oracles of God, the Jews, the Jews who had Moses and Abraham. They had the, all of it. And he told them, you are storing up wrath for yourself because of your hostility against God. God is going to express his hostility, his justice against those who sin against him. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, there's a wonderful celebration of the grace in Jesus. But I want it to point out our human condition. Let me just read these passages and, and, and you see how we're described. God shows his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, there's a descriptive, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There's a point here that I want us to come to. Sinners have the wrath of God on them, the wrath of God against sin. You can try to explain it away. You can try to rationalize it. You can try to deny it. You can try to finesse around it. But it is true. Now, what is the expression of this wrath of God? You guys feel like God might be angry with sinful men? Remember what happened the last time? You guys think that God might be angry with the sinfulness and the rebelliousness and the hostility of mankind toward their Creator? Probably not a happy Christmas thought. Probably not what we like to think about, but it is a reality. In Romans chapter 1, the expression of God's wrath is He turns them over to their depraved thinking. He turns them over to the choices that they're making. He turns them over and releases them and lets them experience the consequence of their sin during this life now, but there's a, a worse wrath that is to come. I don't know if you ever think about the judgment of God. There are seven judgments that are described in Scripture. We'll go through those one day. I'm really looking forward to that Bible study. That'll be a three-hour sermon. So you guys, I'll let you know when that's going to happen. But they're important. But there is coming a day when every person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For believers, we'll stand before the Bema seat of God. But there's the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is the judgment where it's welcome. Welcome to the presence of God uninterrupted. Welcome to the new Jerusalem. Welcome to heaven. Or it is depart from me. I never knew you. It's what's described at least impartially or to some extent in Matthew chapter 7. 
where there are those who even are good religious people. They're not overtly hostile to God, but inwardly their hearts are close to God and they're rebellion against, they're, they live in a rebellion against God's, God's commands, God's way. God's, they've not yielded, they've not bent the knee, they've not experienced what it means to be made new. And even though outwardly they're trying to gain favor, there's going to come a day when because they know not Christ and the Lord does not know them, they will experience the judgment that they're to face. It started in the Garden of Eden. You remember what uh, God told Adam and Eve in the Garden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden. By the way, God planted this garden. You think he did a good job? Every tree, appealing, attractive fruit, great to eat. And God said, you can eat any tree. You can eat every tree. There's just one you can't. Just one. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. The day you eat of it, there's a consequence, and the consequence is you shall surely die. What happened? You guys know the rest of the story? What happened? They did. They ate of the tree. They rebelled against God. The one no, and they went straight to the one no. And they fell. They sinned. And they died spiritually in their relationship with, against God and death entered the world. That's what Romans says, as by one man's sin, death entered the world, so all will die, for all have sinned. So we have that declared in Genesis. We have it declared by the prophets. Ezekiel 18 says, the soul that sins shall die. The son shall not suffer the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer the iniquity of the son. This is where the prophet comes in and God says, listen, everyone's accountable. Everyone's accountable for yourself. You can't put this off on your parents. You can't put this off on your kids. You can't put this off on someone else. You're accountable. And here's what he says. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And the soul that sinneth shall die. It's affirmed by Jesus. Did Jesus ever talk about hell? He did. As a matter of fact, when he was preparing his disciples and sending them out, he said, listen, it's going to get hard out there. This is Matthew chapter 10. He's sending them on their first mission trip, if you will. And he says, it's going to get hard out there, and there's going to be tribulation, there's going to be persecution. But don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him. And here's how he describes God. He says, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's talking about the eternal death. And the apostles, you guys are very familiar with Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. Not good news, right? Merry Christmas. No, there's a problem here. What I want you to understand is our need for Jesus and God's miracle in providing life. To those who are sentenced to death. Scott read this morning from Hebrews chapter 2. And we see the, the, the expression of God's love in this one. Jesus who took on the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus who came to bring many sons to glory. Jesus who served as our propitiation. Our substitute. He paid the way so that... We no longer have to live in hostility with God. Us hostile toward Him, Him hostile toward us. And our sin, rather, rather, we can have peace with God through Jesus, who is our peace. 
That's why the cross is so essential. It's not optional. It's the only way to peace with God. Not by God ignoring your sin or overlooking it. God doesn't have to count it against me. If He's righteous, and He's a good judge, He does, sin must be paid for. There is a, a, a punishment, a consequence to our sinful condition and our sinful choices. God doesn't ignore our sinfulness and overlook it. God doesn't just say, I'll let bygones be bygones. And He doesn't just re- release holding judges and moving past it. God deals with our sin. He deals with the consequences of our sin. He deals with it head on, head on which is precisely what He has done that we celebrate at Christmas. In the gift of this child born, this son given, this prince of peace. He's also called the suffering servant. We have the death penalty on all of our lives that God being holy cannot just dismiss, but God in His righteousness can put forward righteousness that can become yours through His suffering servant, through His Son, through Jesus Christ. This child that we celebrate, He's a unique child. He is the only way to peace with the Father. We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might, get this, He might taste death for everyone. Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. Jesus came, fully God, fully human, that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone that's why that's why the incarnation matters that's why it matters so much men are guilty a man must pay and god became man fully god fully human in order to satisfy the righteous requirements of a holy god against sin there's so many passages of scripture that just run in my brain there's so many passages of scripture that we could read you could read isaiah chapter 53 and Look at the promise of God and how it's so completely completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pauline epistles. Look at the life of Christ in the Gospels. But I think the summary statement that, that sums it up best is, is sim- for me anyway, is simply 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And God made Him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin, in order that, so that, henna, so that we might become the righteousness of of God in Him. So how do you get peace with God? How do you get peace with God? The Gospel repeatedly calls people to repentance and faith. It calls you to do something that you can do when God works in you to give you the power and the awareness and His Spirit brings you to understanding that you only way to have peace with God is by giving your life to Him. Do you know this kind of peace? Do you know this kind of faith, this kind of trust? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. He came that you might have peace with God. And you can know that peace today. You can. You can know that peace. Matter of fact, I pray that many of you, I pray that most of us know that peace. How many of you are at peace with the Father? And you can proudly, proudly say, and you can excitedly say, and humbly say, because you didn't bring it about, God brought it about. How many of you can joyously say, I am at peace with God the Father? Isn't that a great place to be? I've got to tell you, most of the world's not there. Most of the world 
is hoping and wishing. Most of the world is living in this tension of hostility, this raised anxiety, this uh, kind of even an unconscious innate concern, knowing that something's wrong, sometimes knowing what it is and denying it, sometimes being deceived away from the reality of the situation. And here's the truth. We have a loving Heavenly Father. We have a just and holy Heavenly Father who will punish our sin and our sinfulness unless we acknowledge that He has provided a means of escape, a plan of salvation, a deliverer, a redeemer, and we yield to Him as our Savior. And yielding to Him as Savior means we acknowledge that He is the Lord, the Lord of all creation, and we walk in obedience to Him. Isn't that great? Good place to be. Good message to share. But now that I have peace with God, God's on my side, right? The hostilities have ceased. Yeah, good news, right? You still with me? It means all my problems are going to go away because God's on my side. It means that as I drive down Woodruff Road, the traffic's going to just part in front of me. It means that every delivery on my front porch will still be there when I get home and it will show up early rather than late. It means that everyone's going to be happy with all of the decisions I make. It means that I'm never going to say anything wrong, that I'm never going to stumble, and that I'm never going to fall. It means that my bank account is always going to have just the right amount in it. It means that my car will never break down, and my kids will behave every time I tell them to do something. Is that, is that what we're talking about when we talk about peace in our life? No. Not even close. Here's what I want you to understand. Peace with God. does not mean that we have peace in every circumstance externally imposed. Here's what it does mean. Jesus Christ gives us peace in God. As God indwells us and as we rest in Him, we can go through some pretty bad circumstances. As a matter of fact, we're promised that we will. John 14, Jesus talking to His disciples, He's getting ready to leave the world, says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Ooh, it's going to get bad. You're going to get tribulation. You know that all of the remaining disciples, all the remaining apostles, the 11 that remain, uh, 10 of them died prematurely. You're aware of that. That they were beaten, that they were imprisoned, that they were boiled in oil, that they were, by tradition, crucified upside down. That there were all kind of trouble. And what did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My peace I leave with you. I'm not going to remove the circumstances. Look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. I'm not going to take you out of the world. I want to leave you in the world. And yet, as you go through the circumstances that you face, here's something that you can know. You do have a God on your side, a sovereign God who is working all things for His glory. He's working all things for your good. And He is sufficient in every circumstance and in every situation. You're going to have problems because we live in a fallen world. You're going to have problems because there are other people who are sinners and are hostile against God. And there are consequences that overflow and that will brush up against you and overtake you from, di- from time to time. There are going to be circumstances that you have that you cannot control and that you do not see and that occasionally just blindside you and, and just you're not expecting it. But here's what you can know. 
that you have a Savior, that you have a God, a Creator, who has promised to be with you and to never leave you and to be sufficient for you in every circumstance and in every situation. And He does not lie and He does not stumble. And He always speaks the truth. I'm reminded in Matthew again, I was, oh, the, the disciples in Jesus, on, on, when He sent them to the other side of the sea, and Jesus was there with them in the boat and the storm came. You ever been in a storm? A bad storm. The wind's blowing. You've been on a boat in the storm. Many of you haven't. It's a great experience. I highly recommend it. It will improve your prayer life significantly. Now, when I was in high school, we took a cruise to the Bahamas, and we had a storm while we were on the cruise to the Bahamas. This was our high school senior trip, in case you're wondering. Great school to go to. I'll tell you all about it later. But that wasn't too bad because it was a big boat and we were able to go around the storm. In a men's retreat we had not too long ago, we had some guys in a canoe paddling across Lake Jocassee. And the wind blew. You guys remember that? And the waves kicked up and people got, and they got put into the lake. Were you in, were you in the, you were in the canoe. Okay, some of you guys, some of you guys got a little wet and got a little cold from the storm. Storms can be a scary thing. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and the disciples feel the wind and the waves stinging their face, and they hear the roar of the sound, and it's up and down, and they look around, where's Jesus, and what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. And he's not asleep because he doesn't care. He cares. He's asleep because he's resting, because he's trusting in his Father. They, however, are all kind of concerned. They go wake him up, and basically he says, what's the problem? (laughs) And they said, look around, man. We're afraid we're going to die. The storm is blowing and we're afraid. Jesus says, what is, what is, what is the condemnation in that passage? O ye of little faith. The issue there was not that they were in a storm. The issue there was they didn't trust Jesus. They didn't trust the Father to get them through the storm and to take care of the storm. He spoke and immediately the winds and the waves silenced and they were stilled. Here's what I want you to understand. We're going to have storms in life. As a matter of fact, we ought to welcome them as old friends. Count it all joy when you face trials and temptations of various kinds. Because God, in that circumstance, as a sovereign and holy God, is working to teach you faith, to to give you strength, to increase your dependence and reliance upon Him, to demonstrate that He does not leave and that He does not fail and that He is sufficient. In every circumstance. This is a a characteristic of believers. You get this right. When everyone else around you is panicking and losing their mind. What do we get? We get to rest. In the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to be anxious for nothing. But in everything. With prayer and supplication. Making our request known to him. Because what? This circumstance. Is his will. For us. God is either sovereign or he's not. He's either in control or he's not. He's either trustworthy or he's not. And may I tell you, he is. He is. By promise, by declaration, and by experience, you can have peace in the circumstances of life. Jesus brings peace in God. Important. As we rest in him and as we trust in him and as we put our faith in him. Philippians chapter 4, which I just kind of tried to quote let me read rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, here's the phrase, the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the third aspect of this piece, and I want to deal with this quickly. Jesus brings peace to and through his church. Jesus brings peace to and through his church. Now, that may not be the best way to say that. It's just the best way I know to say it. Let me, let me see if I can explain this. Jesus brings peace to his church. He brings peace with the Father, his church, or his people. Maybe his people is a better way to say that. I just, we, you guys know the church is the people, right? And so... He brings to those who are saved, to those who are his, to those he's claimed, to those he's regenerated, to those he's made new. He said, you're mine. And I give you, first of all, peace with the Father. Then I give you peace with me in every circumstance, in every situation. I've given you the Holy Spirit as a seal. I give you promises. I give you confidence. You can depend upon me. But he also gives you peace with one another as the body of Christ. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, a church that was dear to his heart. He'd spent three years there. He sent Timothy there later. He's nurturing them and caring for them. Uh, He knows it's a diverse congregation. You've got those from a Jewish background. You've got those from a Gentile background. And he begins to talk about how these two very different groups of people can come together. And he explains that Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one. What happened was there used to be a barrier, a wall, dividing people, a wall of hostility. And he says he has broken down in his flesh, in his death, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself. Here's what Jesus has created in his church. One new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body to the cross thereby killing the hostility, the hostility that previously existed. Every person, every background, diverse background, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, language backgrounds, every, every person when he comes to Christ, all of a sudden he's made into something new. You become something you've never been before. You also become a part of something that you've never been a part of before. You become part of the family of God. You become indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. You become one body, one spirit, one Father, one baptism, one Lord Jesus Christ. You become a place, we become a place where, well, we become a people who welcome each other with open arms, who extend grace and kindness and love and forgiveness, who work for the good of others. The church is to be a place of peace, not a place of factions or infighting, conflicts and broken relationships that aren't mended or healed. Rather, we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling to which we have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We love one another. Now, I don't know what your Christmases are like. I don't know what your family dynamics are like. But I talk to a lot of people where Christmas is a stressful time just because of ongoing conflict. You got to go in the room with people that you may have disagreed with or that you have conflict with, that there's some situation which makes it uncomfortable. Can I can I give you a a command and an exhortation based on scripture? Be kind one to another. 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. This Christmas, I pray that if you are in a fighting relationship or a hostile relationship or an, I don't know, enemy, if you're going to see an enemy or somebody that there's a break, that you will take upon yourself the initiative to as far as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. That you will forgive the hurts and release those. You want peace for Christmas if you have a broken relationship? Forgive and trust God. Forgive and trust God. Release and trust God. It's exactly what God did for you. It's exactly what God did for you. He paid the penalty for sin and forgave and washed and cleansed you. I need to close. Let me close with this. Do you have peace? Are you at peace with God? Some of you may have been running from Him for a long time. And you maybe didn't know you were running from Him. But you have been. And now the Holy Spirit's making you aware and say, hey, maybe there's an issue here. Maybe I've never been declared not guilty by God. Maybe I've never come to the point of repentance and faith. And this, this ongoing, ongoing, never ceasing, sometimes greater, sometimes lesser, never going away tension is the Holy Spirit making me aware that I'm not at peace with God. You can be at peace with God today. How? Repent and believe. It's time to get so fed up with our sinfulness and our pig-headedness and our going our own way that we're willing to say whatever the cost, whatever the expense, whatever the, the, the sacrifices that are required, and by the way, it's 100%, I'm willing to give up and give my life to God. If you haven't done that, you can do that now. Don't wait on me to finish. You go ahead and have that conversation with God. For those of us who've been there, great place to be, isn't it? Great place to be. I don't know what circumstances you're facing that may rob your peace. But can I tell you that anxiety and fear and trusting God can't take up the same space. And if your mind is set on anxiety and fear and worry and tension and stress, God can remove that from you. He's willing to. He wants to. You need to set your mind on Him. And trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He'll direct your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. And you may just need to say, God, I've had my eyes on the waves and I should have been taking a nap next to Jesus. And so give me that rest. I'm trusting you. I'm dependent upon you and I'm resting in you. And maybe you're doing good except for that one guy over there or that one gal over there or that one part of the family over there. And this Christmas, God's going to use you to bring peace to relationships. Isn't God good? This is such a big subject. This is such a big truth. This is such great truth. I just don't want you to miss peace this Christmas. Father, thank you that Jesus is our peace. He is our life. 
He is our joy. He is our happiness. He is our rest. He is our portion. He is our shield. Father, I pray that if there's one here who is not at peace with God, anyone here who does not know you as Savior and Lord, anyone here who's never repented and bowed the knee, anyone here who is still under the hostility toward you and facing and experiencing the hostility from you both now and in the future, that you will intervene in their life. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll wake them up and give them understanding. You'll draw them to yourself. You'll give them to your Son that they will respond in repentance and faith and Jesus will save them and they'll be at peace with God declared not guilty once and for all Father for the circumstances that we face help us to depend upon you for the relationships that are broken help us to trust you and to be kind and to be forgiving and insofar as it lies within us to be peacemakers Father we love you be glorified in us in your name I pray Amen